Yep. Well, good morning or afternoon or evening, hockey fans across the globe, if not the universe, and welcome to a summertime issue of the Oilers Great Radio. You might be saying to yourself, there's no games to discuss right now. What could you people possibly be talking about? I'm glad you asked. Arguably the most interesting offseason, certainly in recent memory. Um, with uh, that, let's uh, all introduce ourselves. Megan, who are you? Um, I'm Megan Fowler. I teach high school uh, here in Edmonton, and um, sometimes I have thoughts about hockey. Oh, that's, uh, that, that's a good thing to do. And Avery, yourself? Well, I am. I was named to GQ's Hottest Man Alive list, so that's good news. I am also the oldest <laughs> rag token black man. I also find my work on Yahoo Sports, the hockey news, and I am still your mom's favorite podcaster. That's a pretty bold claim, but uh, my mom is a woman of taste and distinction. I'm sure you can trust her stamp of approval wherever it may land. Uh, with that, we move on to the off season. Yes, like the players have been flying around. There have been, there's been drama. There's been developments. Oh, my, there's been twists. There's been turns. Avery, what's been your favorite uh, development so far this summer? I would probably say um, the fact that Brad Living actually somehow got a W out of the Calgary deal with Florida because. The twist in terms of that, how it was, oh, no, flames are done, flames are over, it's over. I would give full credit to Bradshaw Living. It looked like he was going to be holding a massive, fat L that can be seen from space, but he found a way to deal with Matthew Kachuk and get Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto back. To me, i got to give him credit. That's impressive, and Twitter lost its ever-loving ape you-know-what because of it. Huberto, Mackenzie Weger, and a first... Uh, maybe we had, and like a serviceable bottom of the roster prospect. Uh, what what if neither of these guys resign here? What if this time next summer, uh, the Flames were once again eliminated in the second round, and uh, Weger and Huberto both hit free agency? Would that change your anything that you just said? Well, you know what? Hey, if, if it results, if it results in the Flames having a deep playoff run, I think it's worth it. Then I still think it's worth it if you go on a deep run. At the same time, though, if Calgary does crash and burn and say at the trade deadline they want to they don't want to resign, you can flip those two for something pretty nice, I believe. I've heard a lot of people saying that, and I think it's technically true, but um, the, I just don't. I'd be amazed if the Calgary Flames are not in the playoff picture come the deadline. So I do not expect them to do that. I think that they will be good enough that they'll certainly be poised to make a very deep run. Whether or not they make one, who can say? But uh, you're right. They 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 very nicely acquitted themselves for um, at least this season. I'm curious how it works out after that. Maybe we'll talk more about that deal in a, in a couple minutes. But before we get too far, Megan, your favorite uh, development twist turn of uh, the summer? Um. Well, I do. I mean, I don't know. If favorite is the the right word. I was really. Um, intrigued by all of the attention around Johnny Gaudreau signing in Columbus. Um, and not in like a, oh, he signed somewhere else. Like, I don't honestly care. But I just found it really fascinating that there were, you know, fans from elsewhere um, just being real jerks about it. And I'm like, I, this is like, I get it. And I understand that, you know, when you're a fan of a team and like one of your rival teams, you know, they're, 
biggest star, best player, like go somewhere else or decides to retire. Like it's, you know, it's going to handicap the team or whatever. But I also feel like sometimes we as people need to remember that these athletes are also just people. And like, whatever his reasons for going to Columbus are, I don't think it's important. Like it doesn't really matter to me. Um, And I think just some of the, some of the attention around that was really, really interesting. And people sort of, you know, being like, oh, the flames are done. The flames are toast. And then, you know, five days later or whatever, like all of a sudden, oh, there's this trade. And then like, oh, well, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. Maybe they'll, then maybe they'll turn out okay. Um, so who knows? I just, I find, I found that whole thing really interesting. And it was nice to be on the outside of the drama instead of on the inside of the drama. Oh, that's, uh, that is an interesting point. It is a, a new and novel experience for those fans to not be the story. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of, connect both of we're all sort of orbiting the same basic series of moves but maybe i'll get more broad and i'll say i love the way this is the summer of the small market we have seen the carolina hurricanes make huge not i was gonna say franchise altering but to be honest that almost sounds too risky they just dramatically improved themselves um this summer the ottawa senators have dramatically dramatically improved themselves uh this summer the columbus blue jackets got the most desired uh, unrestricted free agent on the market. And not just this year, like of the last couple of years. Um, yeah, that, that's been, been great. As someone who grew up in a small underdog market, um, I always cheer for the underdog teams to, uh, I don't know, to just get general good things. So... I am I'm happy for for all involved. I'm especially happy for the Ottawa Senators. I was briefly happy for the Columbus Blue Jackets, but good mercy if they had an up and down uh, summer as they've mixed in signing Johnny Goudreau, an extremely reasonable deal with uh, signing Eric Goodbranson at four by four million dollars and giving away. Oliver Bjorkstrand for a third and a fourth. Like that's for a player of his caliber. That's essentially just uh, giving him away. Um, Megan, maybe I'll bounce back to you. You said it's uh, been fun to not be the story in your mind. Is the story, the hockey stuff or how people were reacting to uh, Johnny Goudreau leaving Calgary for Columbus? What's the, what's, what is the story here? Oh, I think in that case, the story was the reaction more than because I think I, I'm I'm fairly certain that most people knew. I don't believe him when he says that it was a last minute decision. Like he said, they weren't going to come back to Calgary, and I think everybody kind of knew that for quite a long time. I don't think this was a a thing that was a surprise to many people, um, even if people pretended to be shocked about it. So I think there's the reaction to him leaving, but also to where. You know, because like the day that it happened, one of the things I looked up because I was super curious. I just on Google, I just searched for Johnny Gaudreau, um, and you know, it was it was insane how how much stuff there was pertaining to that trade. And then I searched for Columbus, Ohio, and the first result after just Columbus, Ohio, because I was curious to know how many people lived there. Um, the first result after Columbus, Ohio was Columbus, Ohio to Salem, New Jersey, because that's where Goudreau's from. And like, that doesn't happen without a vacuum. That's something I've never searched before. So why would that show up in my second like search result on Google? Right. And I was just like, man, people are unhinged about this. Like, yeah, it is closer to home. It's a lot easier to get home 
from somewhere that's an eight hour drive away in the same country than it is to have to cross an international border on an airplane. Like I could be wrong, but you know, um, and also the, the thing that people were like, Oh, it's not that much closer, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but they play in a division that's going to play close to home too on a number of locations. Like, I don't understand why people were so pressed about it. I thought it was very interesting. I, I don't know. I think I'll, I'll push back on that a little as I understand very well why people were so like, if he had gone to New Jersey or Philadelphia, I I actually think most of Calgary was fairly well-braced for that to happen. And I saw loads of posts before he left to the effect of, hey, you know what's neat about Flames fans is we totally get, understand why Goudreau's leaving. There's no hard feelings and that's fine. And then he went to Columbus, which I have to admit is just such a, fascinatingly head-scratching uh, deal. Maybe before I get to, to worked up talking about it, uh, Avery, why did Johnny Goudreau choose Columbus? Why did Johnny Goudreau choose Columbus Blue Jackets? Hmm. Well, first of all, one, he couldn't go to Philadelphia because the Flyers literally had no money for him. Even though I thought he was going to end up there, the Flyers had no money. And Cliff Fletcher said that, you know, basically we couldn't move contract. It's funny because as a GM, if you're dropped him, try and make that money work to bring someone in. So you drew fully off the table. New Jersey couldn't make it happen. So Columbus, I guess, was a close option for him to make it happen, though. But it's really, if you read the Players' Tribune article, he kind of gets mm-hmm. into it more to an extent. But really, it really wasn't clear. It's such a move. It's a move that I guess really for more or less, he feels a comfortable move for his family. But it's really a move that there's no real clear answer in terms of why Columbus per se really even. I can sort of defend it, but I can't explain it in a way where you're like, oh, I understand. I can make it seem not crazy, but I can't quite figure out why it could be considered option number one. So to go back to like Megan's question of uh, like, why are people so worked up about this? It's one thing if, uh, you know, someone leaves you for an obviously better option. If someone leaves you for an option that, is not obviously better it suddenly becomes it's it's not just that you're curious you're like oh okay well wait what what does that mean what is this saying about me like if uh you know if you're uh married to a nice lady and um pierce brosnan in his uh you know all his glory strolls through town and uh your lady's like oh sorry i'm leaving you for old rich pierce brosnan there you're like well that's bad for me but on some level i get it but, you know, if some dude who looks just like you and is not certainly not any better than you and in a, in a lot of ways is slightly worse, as, uh, you know, steals your wife away, you're like, wait, what's going on now? What's happening? How's this possible? What's wrong? What's, do, do I have secret flaws that I don't know about? Like, it, it definitely, I would say it is a reflection on, on uh, not just the Calgary of the city, but the Calgary Flames of the organization. Um, I would like side with you Megan to to some degree that like well it is but it's equally a reflection on New Jersey quite frankly and they don't seem to be engaged in this kind of soul searching like people have been talking about the money that Goudreau left on the table he left that same money on the table for New Jersey and New, the New York Islanders so it's not like like for whatever reason he really wanted to go to Columbus but that that's just an odd thing like columbus is i'm sure a fine city as most uh 
cities of a certain size are. There's just going to be some cool stuff there, but it's not like a dazzling city. It's certainly not one of the, the, the leading cities. It's close to home and definitely an eight hour drive is probably only a two hour flight. So that's certainly much closer to home than Calgary was, but there was even closer options to home. It's not so close to home that it totally explains it. Uh, once you factor in taxes, he probably didn't leave as much money on the table as people are talking, but he didn't go to Columbus for the money. He was getting as much money in several other locations. Uh, Columbus has a very bright future, but I think they're probably still going to miss the playoffs this year unless he loves their prospect pool. It's not the contending. Um, I don't know. Megan is there. The, the, I guess what uh, part of what I just said sounds wrong to you? Um, well, I think like, I think the tax thing is probably more correct than most people are willing to admit. I think that's definitely a factor. Uh, and I think that because in Canada, like the players, like we think they get paid in us dollars, like their contracts are all in us dollars and stuff. And, and they are subject to, um, you know, different taxation stuff. I think that's definitely a factor in some of these decisions that these players make for sure. Um, so leaving that money on the table, maybe isn't really leaving all that much money on the table. Like when it, when it shakes down. So there, that, that might be something that I think you're right about. Um, I think that like, I think part of playing in a small market and I think that like, you know, you have to be a certain, you have to have a certain kind of personality, I think to, to really um, thrive in that. And I think part of the problem of playing in a small market is that you are in a fishbowl at all times. Like not every person in Calgary is a hockey fan, but a lot of people are, and a lot of people know who Johnny Gaudreau is and whatever. There's 2 million people in the metropolitan Columbus area. And uh, I would imagine that Johnny Gaudreau could just walk around like a normal five foot seven man and no one will know who he is. And there, I think there is something to be said for that in, in some of those markets as well. Um, and maybe that's worth, you know, quote, giving up some of that money um, or term or whatever. Um, I did read something from him though that he said he wanted a seven-year deal with the Flames and they didn't want to give him one. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Yeah, that's odd. Um, For me, I think I have an easy time understanding as do I genuinely believe most Flames fans. Uh, I think a lot of people get why he wanted to leave Calgary. Um, Like we all, I shouldn't actually, never mind. Roosevelt say it's not true. Many of us are close to our family and it would be tough if we were on the other side of the country from, you know, not just a couple of people, but just from our extended network. Um, why he chose Columbus over the Islanders or the Devils is uh, both of those places are closer to where he's actually from. The, they're both stronger teams and the money checks out. Um I don't know. It really might be the anonymity uh, element uh, that that Megan just brought up. Um, Avery, what's your sense of it? Why? I don't know. Like, forget why he left uh, Calgary and why he left Canada, which I think is less offensive than some people want to make it out to be. It's just one of those things. Like, I live in Canada, even though I think I have other options, uh, places that are on paper better. But it's just more comfortable to kind of be where you're from. Um, but, uh, so I, I can understand where somebody else would want to do that. Um, uh, maybe Avery, I'll ask in strictly in, in a hockey sense, make the case for choosing Columbus. Make the case in hockey sense for choosing Columbus. That is, that is an interesting one. Cause you know what? I'll, I'll give them credit. I, I eventually be a continuing team in the Eastern conference, but I, I, I think right now, Goudreau wants to be a centerpiece of that franchise. 
And to make its point, you're playing a market in which you're, he can be a normal five, seven man. He can be like me, a five, seven man doesn't get talked to very much in the streets. But I think he would, I think with Columbia, with Columbia, he can be a set of piece, he can be a set of piece on that team. He can be number one, he can be number one line player on that, on that team and play with less pressure than he would, say, play in Calgary. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, though, because the Eastern Conference is going to be very competitive for the next year or two. So if if he wouldn't struggle for next year, that's on him. But I think long term, Columbus could be a team that builds around him and get back to the Eastern Conference playoff race in a, in a couple of years here. That is that's the angle that I can take to make it make a little bit of sense. Is it's possible that Goudreau wanted the money, but at his age, um he coming off a career year also, it could be that he did some soul searching and said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be a superstar for very much longer. Maybe I'm about to begin the pretty good player stage of my career. Where can I go where I can get paid like a superstar, uh, but not yelled at as I decline? Like, I mean, consider someone like Zach Parise who signed a career, uh, career year contract signed uh, with Minnesota for a ton of money. And within a few years, you know, he just be evened out into a good player. But um, even like, I wouldn't say top six, that doesn't quite, uh, like he was a top line player for most of his time in Minnesota, but certainly not an amazing top line player. And I think that started to bring some uh, pressure on him, some scrutiny, the Sean Horkoff syndrome for you're getting paid like crazy and people just start to, uh, resent you for not being even better. So one way to avoid, one way I guess to have your cake and eat it too is to sign that enormous contract but not get yelled at as you almost immediately begin to decline throughout it is you pick a team that was already on the rise and the Columbus Blue Jackets, for you fans who didn't know, have arguably the single best prospect pool in the NHL. Uh, was it Dom LeShushin? Somebody... Um, prominent uh, organization uh, recently ranked the Blue Jackets as the single best prospect pool in the NHL. So if they are about to get really good without you and are going to be good enough to sort of cover you as you drop into just like that pretty good player mode, uh, that, that's that's the case that I'm making. That he's like, okay, they're not a short-term Stanley Cup threat, but they're a long-term good bet to just be like a decent perennial playoff team where people aren't going to ask why I'm not dragging them into the playoffs. They're going to drag themselves into the playoffs. Um, that's it. I don't think they're making them this year, but uh, I don't know. That, that's, that's my case for Columbus. Um, yeah. I, 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 anything else to be said on the subject, Megan? Probably actually there's lots else to be said, but we've got to, there's lots else to be said, but would, one of the things I wanted to point out is that lots of the like hand wringing about him going to Columbus was not coming from Calgary fans that I was seeing anyway. It was coming from like people elsewhere making fun of it, which I just, again, that's kind of the thing that I don't understand why people are so pressed about it. Cause like, who cares? Um, and I wonder like, you know, there's that all of those, there, there are people out there who think that like, you know, after McDavid's next contract, like when he gets to UFA, he's going to walk from Edmonton. And like, to be fair, if they don't win anything by the time he gets to that point, I'd probably walk anyway. Um, like what a waste of your time, you know? Um, but it's just really interesting. Cause I, I feel like the people that were the loudest and sort of the most, uh, um, boisterous maybe about him choosing Columbus, I think will be very quiet when the tables are turned in a couple of years time. 
So I, I will say this reminds me of a few years ago, someone uh, from, I, I can't remember how they won it, but someone from the United States won an all expenses paid trip to anywhere they wanted in Canada for a week. It was like some radio station promo or something. And they came to Edmonton and like, because they chose Edmonton out of anywhere in Canada, it was on the news. And I think uh, the nationwide reaction was, you chose Edmonton. Not that Edmonton isn't a nice place, but like of you could have gone anywhere and you chose Edmonton, that suddenly becomes odd. And that is how I feel about Johnny Goudreau. Not that Columbus is an awful option, but you could have gone a lot of places and you put Columbus on the top of your list. Fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I continue to find it... Uh, just fascinating. Um, and then Columbus uh, reacted by signing Patrick Laine to, I think, a defensible deal and then giving away a perennial 60-point player who also plays excellent defense, by the way. Man, I, I hate that move. I don't know. I guess we'll, we won't linger on the, the Bjorkstrand thing uh, too long because we've talked about Columbus quite a bit. But Avery, is Columbus a playoff team this year? No, the Blue Jackets are not a playoff team. Not at all in my mind, Stephen. Uh, I'm looking at their roster right now, and I would say, no, they probably aren't. I think they've got a shot at it. They've got a lot of, uh, like, the, the big wild card being their kids. If uh, Igor Shinikov or Cole Sillinger or, or uh, the like really shows up, um, you know, you never know when you've got the best prospect in the league. You never know when someone's suddenly going to be more NHL ready than you thought. But I, how oh man, I hate that deal for them. I hate that deal for them so much. I don't know how you can't give away Gustav Nyquist or like they're definitely in a tough position, but they handled being in that tough position salary wise really, really badly. I am just stunned that they chose to give away one of their best players. Uh, out of all the options they had in front of them. That that just seems like one of the worst ones. Um, all right. Uh, okay, Megan, you, you talked about the fan reaction to that. Um, is there any fan reactions to anything that you thought uh, sounded less on the hinge that you're like, oh, yep, I get that, and I'm 100% on board? Um, I don't know. Not really. I've, I'm not going to lie. I haven't paid a ton of attention outside of like the big, big stuff, but like, you know, I, I think that, I mean, and I get why there's been some weird outsized reaction to the Goudreau thing, especially. Um, I do think that the Kachuk trade has some, had some different reactions because like, I mean, even like Avery and, and Alex and I, in our like group chat, we were making fun of the flames and then all of a sudden they make that trade and it's like, Oh, interesting. Maybe they're not, maybe, maybe they still will make the playoffs next year. Um, you know, just sort of based on, on, on getting a decent return for Kachuk. So I don't know that there's been anything that like, you know, the fan reaction has been exactly what I've expected, but I just think that the Goudreau stuff was all pretty, pretty unhinged. Um, and again, because I was on the outside, it was fun to look at. Yeah, man, the, um, I think I, I, as I'm ranting about, uh, Bjorkstrand, I need to lump in Max Pacioretty also got given away essentially for completely free. <laughs> So it's fascinating to, com to compare those two deals and the Kachuk deal because there were two very, very good players who were given away for nothing. And then the argument being like, well, that just shows you how valuable cap space is. 
but then the Flames and Panthers did an old school hockey trade. Like here's some really good players going both ways. Um, it, it's an incredible banger. Like I don't even think it's a absolute slam dunk that Matt Kachuk was the best player in the deal, but he was the big difference was he was 24. Uyghurs, uh, 28. Um, what's his name? Huberto's 29. So they, as we were just saying, they're about to, they're just exiting their primes is a good way to put it. Whereas uh, Kachuk's just entering his and the Panthers guarantee that they're going to stay uh, or that he, he's going to be in his prime for the whole time. They're going to get a little bit younger. I don't know. Megan's talking about that deal. Who, how do you like it? Who do you think won it? Um, I think on this, I think that, I think the Panthers probably win because they've, locked up a guy for eight years whereas the flames they get two really good hockey players like let's i I feel like they they did well here in terms of a a short-term return uh it's just that both of those guys are ufas at the end of this coming season and so like you know if things don't go well they could just walk for nothing and then you've not only lost johnny gaudreau for nothing you've also lost matthew kachuk for basically nothing just a year later um but I think so. I think the Panthers probably win the trade just because of the the fact that yeah they've gotten younger. Kachuk is only twenty four; he is in his prime, and you've got guys on the other side coming back or exiting their prime. Um, but it's not like Florida traded like it's not like the return for Kachuk was like the corpse of Milan Lucic and something else, right? Like they're, they're actual good hockey players still. Um, I think. I don't think the winner of a trade, I'm not David Staples, so I don't think that the winner of a trade will flip-flop year over year. I don't think that's a thing that's possible. I think this year, both teams will probably make up pretty well because of it. But over the long term, I think Florida wins just because of how young Kachuk is in comparison. Yeah, they did a really nice job of managing their uh, their windows, kind of aligning their team younger to prevent that decline, to hopefully give them some uh, sustain. But it's such an interesting deal. I would say the the nice thing that Florida has going for them is kind of to your point at the end there that um, they for sure got what they wanted. They definitely got a 24 year old uh, elite winger. Um, he's I think that most people would say, especially after last year, he's one of the top five wingers in the game and he's 24 and he signed a reasonable deal. Um, so they got what they wanted for sure. Uh, how Calgary made out will depend on these uh whether or not these guys resign, like uh, definitely if, if they both walk next year, uh, suddenly not looking so hot for Calgary, but Avery, when was the last time we had like a big name trade like this? Like, ah, man, I, I'm still kind of amazed. Like that it's the standard. Well, we want a player, a pick and a prospect for this really good player. And uh, here, Nope. We're giving you two uh, expiring all stars and a first figure out what to do with it. Like, the the crazy thing I think that's really gonna try and come or that's really gonna make the the judging of this trade difficult is I think that both teams got slightly worse this summer. Um, so how how are you going to assess this trade as time goes on? Uh, I would say in in the in the short term in the short term both teams got what they wanted. In the short term it could be great for both teams, but in the long term I gotta see what's gonna happen again. Of course you know the resignings. Um, with Huberto and William Uyghur. But I think short term is a great deal. You mentioned, um, well, last we saw big names go like this. I'm trying to think offhand. I can't think of a deal in which multiple big names 
swap teams in one trade. It was, it's a very NBA style deal. You see it in the NBA quite a bit, not in the NHL. So I'm trying to think offhand, I can't recall uh, too many deals in um, in the past few years in which you had big names go for big names. I think it's actually been decades I've seen people on Twitter debating when was the last deal that involved two 100-point players just changing teams. Um, and uh, yeah, one... I, I can't say that this is correct, but the answer that I saw reached back to the 80s for the Doug Gilmore to Calgary trade, not even from Calgary, the to Calgary trade uh, for two guys that had had 100 points in the the season in which they got dealt. Um, So, yeah, this is just such a banger blockbuster, but um, definitely Florida got what they wanted. But I do think that in the short term, just next season, like just over the next season, forget the future, forget aging curves, forget who's going to resign where. I would rather have Huberto and Uyghur than Kachuk, and I think most people agree with that. So even if you like how Florida did in this uh, trade, in the next season, they're slightly less good. And then Calgary, even though they, they did quite well in this trade, still lost Goudreau for nothing, so they, as a team, probably still got slightly worse. Um And to me, I think that's actually one of the secret little uh, stories of the offseason is it's been a real socialist summer. Most of the best teams got slightly worse, and many of the uh, formerly crappy teams, the Whipping Boys, uh, got at least somewhat, if not significantly better. Like in the East, I would say last year the the best division in hockey had four teams who... years will be considered like strong Stanley Cup favorites. The the Leafs, the the Bruins, and then the two Florida teams. Those are some very good teams. All of those teams took steps back. I'd say Boston with their injury problems might not make the playoffs. Florida, as we just mentioned, uh, gave up two players. Um, They did get one, but they also just lost Claude Giroux. So they're, you know, they took a a modest step back. The Lightning lost Ryan McDonough, Andre Palat. And uh, all their players got a little bit older, so I'd say they take, they're take they definitely taking a step back. Um, the Leafs took the smallest step back, but um, I don't love... I mean, they had terrible goaltending last year, but I'm not sure that they fixed anything about it. Um, with I could imagine with their defense, if things go their way, maybe the Leafs will be just as good. But, uh, but I don't know, whereas you have your... your, uh, your Senators, your Red Wings, your Sabres, um, almost all the the perennial whipping boys. Oh, I shouldn't say all of them. That's probably an exaggeration. But so many teams got got a lot better. So the rich got poorer and the poor got richer. Um, I don't know. how How's the big picture shaping up this summer for you, Megan? Um, I think, like... <clears throat> I think this has been an interesting offseason because there has been lots of action, right? Like there was rumors that, you know, Malkin was going to test the free agent market. And then like the day before he resigns in Pittsburgh, oh, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think it's been really interesting. Like there's just been a lot happening much more so than I think um, we would expect. And it started honestly, like at the draft when Shane Wright didn't go first overall or second overall or third overall. Like that, that was, was kind of where the drama, that was where the drama started. You know, I and don't then, remember like, the consensus number one ever falling like that. Like sometimes he doesn't get picked number one, but boy, did he fall. I, I mean, he only fell three spots, but like it was such a big deal. And it was just, you know, so I think the kind of the drama started there. And I just think it's been really nice, like in a way that there has been lots of action in this offseason because it is kind of interesting. Like this is the first time in a really long time that you're starting to see, I think, I think what's happening. I can't, I don't know for sure, but I think you're starting to see teams who have 
like decent analytics departments who are now actually like being asked for input on some decisions and that kind of stuff. You also have teams that are doing dumb things like signing Eric Goodbranson to a four-year deal, but like, that's a different question. Um, but yeah, I think you're starting to see some of that as well. And I just, it's been fun to watch and sort of, well, what's going to happen with this guy? And what about this guy? And like, what's the market for this? And how is this going to change, you know, what happens next year uh, for, um, certain things. And I will say that some of the things that have happened and some of the decisions that have been made are making the Darnell nurse contract look real bad, even worse than it looked before. Uh, yep. That's a great call. The Darnell nurse deal is, I don't know. The one thing that I think that Bjorkstrand deal, uh, which I keep circling back to, uh, really drives home to me is the importance of never saying to yourself, well, I've got the cap space, so I'll just blow it because you never know when either someone else is going to have to make a cap dump and you, it's nice to be in the position of Seattle and say, okay, we'll take that uh, very good player for almost free. But also you don't want to, if you give Eric Branson four times 4 million, you never know when suddenly Johnny Gaudreau wants to come play for you and you have to say, yes, of course, and then we'll figure it out. And uh, sometimes the thing that you have to figure out is uh, very painful. So um, yep, the whole almost every decision the team's made with Darnell Nurse uh, the last few years has been the wrong one. Probably should have signed him long-term a few years ago. Probably should have waited for, waited for his, uh, you know, not signed him coming off a career year when you had months to go. Um, shouldn't have signed him right after in the wake of the Seth Jones deal. Uh, like they, I don't know, they panicked, I think, and they sure are paying for it now. Um, I'm surprised there aren't more teams tanking for Connor Bedard. Like almost, I'm I'm looking at uh, the list of moves this year, and a lot of teams who I think could have, uh, like Seattle, like in looking in the West, in the among the non-playoff teams, I think Vegas, Vancouver, Anaheim, and Seattle all made not insignificant moves to get better this summer. Um, I'm not sure about San Jose, but San Jose is stuck with so many old contracts of like good players and they still have some like, you know, they've got their Timo, Timo Myers and their Thomas Shirtles that they're still pretty good. Uh, obviously, Chicago and Arizona are tanking, but uh, Winnipeg isn't. Nashville is going for it. Dallas is trying to stay good. Um, I think Montreal is going to be a bottom feeder team, but Buffalo, Detroit and Ottawa are all clearly uh, aiming for improvement. Even Philadelphia seems to be aiming for improvement. Um, I'm not sure they're going to find it, but they're spending big money on Tony D'Angelo and uh, bringing in, uh, you know, that uh, John Tortorella to coach. So they're not tanking. Um, for those of you who don't know, Connor Bedard is probably a slightly better prospect than Connor McDavid was at the same age. Uh, it's pretty close, um, but he's at least a comparable so I don't know, Avery. Are you surprised there's not more teams tanking? Every all these bottom feeder teams, most of them seem to be getting trying to get better. Yeah, it's also it's a little surprising. You would usually see more of those bottom feeding teams trying to tank. Yeah, it, it's a it's a rare year where the bulky teams are trying to go for it and try and be a playoff team. There's of course two or three you clearly can tell are, are contending for contending for Bedard. But yeah, it's yeah. weird to see the bulk who are saying nope. Our goal is this year to maybe a playoff team, go deeper with a cup. It's really surprising this year. Yeah, there's there's three teams. Montreal, Chicago, and Arizona are clearly not trying to win. Um, but other than those, everyone seems to be taking steps forward, um, which is neat, but also shocking. Um, I don't know. 
Uh, again, for you folks, though, maybe you're not uh, big draft heads. Well, Connor Bedard's amazing. There's like three or four other prospects that would be the first overall in the average uh, year as well. So it's just it's a fantastic year to tank, and most teams aren't doing it. Um, what other uh, as we're we're kind of getting to the end of the time I have available anyway? What what other moves have really jumped out at you, Megan? Uh, you kind of said you haven't followed anything uh, else uh, too closely. Is there any any that have? Uh, no. I well, I mean, I did comment when Columbus sent a good brand, and I was like, "Well, the Blue Jackets just got a lot hotter. I don't know if they got any better." Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a that was one of my my reactions, and then I decided I was going to rank all of the free agent uh, signings by hotness, and then I just stopped paying attention. So I think the only good one is that one. Uh, you are. That's, all, that's all I have to say. You are the city's most infamous connoisseur of handsomeness. So if anyone uh, could, it would be you. Um, Avery, any other uh, moves that um, really made you sit up and say interesting? Uh, I wouldn't say there was too many more. I wouldn't say there was too many more moves that made me sit up and say, huh, interesting. Although I had a foregone conclusion that when um, that Empton, was, Empton signed Kane, that Claudia was gonna go to Ottawa. And I thought I didn't think it was very funny. I didn't think it was very funny though, how um at the press conference for for um good from Claudia in Ottawa, even though yeah. even though it was the son Gavin beside him, people said, Look, it's Claude Drew and I Alex the Brin cat sitting beside him. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> that one hit a little close to home, perhaps. I had forgotten all about that until Avery just mentioned that right now, that that, that Claude Drew is now in Ottawa, um, which I maybe like that's something that's interesting because I kind of feel it sounds really bad, of course, because now Eugene Monlick has passed away. But I sort of feel like all of the decisions that were being made by the GM were actually just being made by the owner through the GM. And so now that it's a different person in charge, that they are actually allowed to do some things. And that's interesting. It sure seems that they're suddenly trying to win. And um, I I like all these moves for them. They got uh, one excellent young forward in uh, Alex DeBrincat, and then they brought in a still very strong vet in Claude Giroux. But they've suddenly got an extremely respectable top six. Um, I still don't think that their defense is good, but, you know, there's time yet left in the summer. Maybe they can add one more guy. Um, go ahead. You know it would be amazing, though? If Otto were to somehow go on a deep run, they win a cup, and thanks to the Melnick sisters, I think the hockey man would explode at two women <laughs> running an HL team to success. <laughs> oh man, that would uh, that would be great. Um, I would still just say that they're kind of a they moved from a team that's definitely not going to make the playoffs to a team that probably won't. Like uh, as much as as happy as I am for the moves that Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa all made this summer, I still think at most one of them gets into the playoffs. Depending, uh, Boston is just so hurt so many of their best players are already going to miss half the year so boston just might get injured um so maybe one of those teams sneaks in but it's not obvious to me which one it's going to be and i think they'll all get bounced in the first round but you know maybe that's not you never know hockey's a it's a wild sport there's a lot of moving pieces um had the oilers sorry can you remind me had the oilers signed jack campbell when we had our last episode no they hadn't okay I hate that deal. Uh, a lot of people are really happy about it. I don't know what any of you are talking about. This is an outrageous deal. Um, we should be as upset as Leaf fans are about Matt Murray. I actually think that uh, the Leaf fans got a slightly better deal 
in Jack Campbell or than we did or the Leafs did better with Matt Murray than we did in Jack uh, with Jack Campbell though I don't think either team did very well um do either of you like the Jack Campbell deal how are you feeling about it uh, you know, I'm not in love with the term or the length, but I think I still think Jack Campbell is an upgrade from Mike Smith. I think Campbell, yes, he yes, he is in reason, but he's still uh, an improvement from Mike Smith. You can rely on Campbell a little more than he can Mike Smith, I feel still. I agree, but only because of their respective ages. Like, I think at Mike Smith's age, you never know when he is going to uh, just either uh, get hurt or just hit the cliff. Time is undefeated, as they say. Um, so, uh, I, I guess I agree with you. Uh, but mostly I think Jack Campbell is Mike Smith. Like the thing that people, again, everyone likes to rag on Mike Smith, uh, but ignores that his numbers average out to pretty good over the last two years, not necessarily the two years before that, but the last couple of years, his, um, numbers have averaged out to pretty good. And the main reason why we yell at him is he's so incredibly streaky as he'll be an all-star one game and then be actively giving the game away the next game. You know who else does that? Jack Campbell. He was the best goalie in the league for the first two months last season, and then he was awful for the rest of the year, which his numbers evened out to pretty good. But ask any, there's a reason why the Leafs are walking away from him, and it's because he was awful for the back half of the season. So I think that we essentially found a younger Mike Smith, uh, who without the puck handling stuff, but still, uh, the maybe the new most streaky goalie in the league, except we're paying him twice as much for five times as long. Um, Megan, he sounds like he's a great guy. That's honestly, I do care about that. I think that's nice, but um, I don't know. Megan, am I getting upset about nothing? How do you feel about it? I think that they're paying Jack Campbell maybe more than they should be, but they're also not paying Koskinen anymore. So like the, that's this is just a repeat of the Koskinen deal. We no, nothing. But I think that we have to look at goaltending, unless you have one of those like seven or eight like bona fide starting goaltenders, I think you have to look at goaltending as always like a package deal. And I think that as long as your goaltending package isn't exorbitant, I think you have to just kind of run with it, right? Like, and that's it just because I mean every team needs two goaltenders, right? Like you just you have to have it. Like you can't get away with not having one, right? Whereas like you can get away with having maybe only one like penalty kill specialist or whatever. You know what I mean? And so I think you have to look at the goaltending kind of in tandem. And if we're going Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner, well, I guess that's what we're going for, which I mean, to be fair, uh, of the three people on this podcast, you are the one who has been uh, tuning the Stuart Skinner horn the loudest. I am very happy with Stuart Skinner. Part of the reason is because he's getting paid $750,000. So I think Mm -hmm. if all he is is a backup goalie next year, that's still like a a huge win. Um, The thing, I'm I'm fine with what the the expected quality of the Oilers goaltending this season, as I think Jack Campbell is not without his upside. Stuart Skinner, not without his upside. I think they'll be an okay platoon. But we signed Campbell for five years um at five million which is a pretty decent chunk of change he's 30 all right jerry campbell's 30 would you like to can either of you tell me how many seasons he's played as a starting goalie where he was a starting caliber goalie the entire season i'm gonna say probably zero based on that zero zero. he has (laughs) never in his life been the guy that we're paying him to be and we're paying him to do it for the next five years until he's 35 i will bet money that this contract this is 
the this is a worse contract than the Darnell Wertner's contract. Boom. But done. it's not Better. it's not as expensive, so that's why it's not gonna people aren't it's gonna be not so as mad expensive, but the gap between his reasonable value and what we're paying him is larger. So yeah, as I think better. Darnell Nurse, if you want to say Darnell Nurse is a seven million dollar defenseman, that sounds about right to me. Maybe even uh you could say it if you want. I, I I don't know. I'm not as I do think there's been evolution in Nurse's game, but um uh, I think a six or seven million guys closer. Okay, actually, I take back worse. It is comparable. But uh, the big difference is Campbell is older and Campbell is a goalie. So if you have a $9 million defenseman who's only playing like a $5 million guy, you can still put him on your second player. Either your starting goalie is starting or he's on your bench. So I think goalie deals are uh, just inherently, they screw you worse when they don't work out. Nothing hurts worse than paying the wrong guy to start as your goalie. Look at Sergei Bobrovsky getting $10 million. Either he's starting or he's wasting your money. Whereas anyone else, um, you know, if you're, so you said Chani Goudreau example, if he uh, settles in as just an 80-point player, he'll be overpaid. But that's still nice. Still nice to have an 80-point player. Mm-hmm. So. I just think the thing I think the thing with the goaltending that is different is just that like like I said before, like you need to have goaltenders. And so like yes, you might be overpaying somebody, but I think that people's notions of overpaying a goaltender are very different from people's notions of overpaying a position player, like a, a skater, right? And I think that like that's there's just a different perception on it. Yeah. Well, I think uh I think there was a lot of goalies available who were comparable to Jack Campbell, who I'm not crapping all over. I, I think that he certainly has had stretches of good hockey and may well be a good starter for us this year. But there were comparable guys available who were going for half the money. For some reason, um, he was getting put in the Kemper class. I actually think Kemper is also slightly overrated, but uh, I think Kemper was at least the best UFA goalie this summer by a comfortable margin. Um, I I'm amazed that Campbell got this kind of money. Yeah, um, there's just not evidence for it. So I'm afraid that is the point at which I have to uh, drop off. So um, you guys uh, might uh, talk for a little while after me. Um, but thank you very much. Uh, it's been great chatting with everyone and blessed be the journey. See you later. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Any other stuff, any other Oilers-related things that we'd like to talk about? I would like to point out that Josh Archibald is no longer an Edmonton Oiler, and I think that that's a good thing, just in general, for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> yes, he's now a Pittsburgh Penguin, and I say good riddance to him. Good riddance, good. Get him off the roster, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. Uh, what else What else Oilers-wise have we, uh, has happened that we should probably address? I'm uh, kind of, you know, whatever. I'll let you take the lead, and I will just chime in. I was going to mention, interesting how Bob Nicholson has stayed very, very quiet after what's come out on Canada in regards to the 2018 team and the 2003 sexual assault um, allegations. The fact that Bob Nicholson has come out, it has not come out yet, and in terms of the revealing of the hush payments, the fact that Nicholson has not come out yet, to me, is very disappointing when he was the president of Hockey Canada. He should be saying something in regards to this, and his silence right now is not a good look at all. No, it's not. And it's interesting that, like, there's a lot of things that have happened in the last, like, three weeks um, in terms of, like, stuff, you know, coming up with Hockey Canada and whatnot. And, like, first of all, Rick Westhead and Katie Strang have done, like, yeoman's work to sort of to discuss this, especially um, 
especially Rick West said, he's done an incredible amount of work, I think, too, uh, to get some of this stuff out, which is, is absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, the fact that Bob Nicholson has been like silent and absent from any conversation about this Hockey Canada stuff, I think is very telling. Um, and I think that, I think, I hope, and I mean, I don't want this to be true, but I hope that there's more stuff coming out in the near future that eventually like he just won't be able to ignore. No, like there's going to be more coming out and I just feel like it's such a bad look. And right now, like, I don't know how you can have someone just continue right now with rollers. Like it's, he was the president of this and all this happened under his watch. It's disgraceful to me. Hmm. It is. It absolutely is disgraceful. And like, there's no way of, I mean, I was reading some stuff yesterday too, about how, you know, some of the stuff about this 2003 and some of the statements that have come out and like Jordan Tucci released a statement. He's like, I have no knowledge of this, but like in his book, he wrote about it in like a pretty offhand kind of way. But I was just like, man, what are you doing? Like if you did, maybe you knew, maybe you didn't know that it was, I don't know, but like, how do you, how do you have a book out there that says, yeah, when we were in 2003 in Halifax, like, you know, we have these girls hitting on us and like, we take them back to the rooms and a bunch of guys would have fun with them and blah, 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 blah. And then turn around and be like, oh, I didn't actually know that anything was going on. Like, what? Yes, you right? Like, it's the, like the, the difference between partaking and not knowing. Of course, there's uh, the guys, you know, who, of, of course, probably didn't, didn't partake. But to have these guys, so many guys say, you know, oh, I didn't know. To me, that just seems so hard to believe that you guys did not know about any of this stuff. Well, and I mean, and that team, more than the... Uh, more than the 2018 uh, team, that team had a lot of like players, like you know, like good, good players. Um, guys like Marc Andre Fleury, who has had a you know a long career, and Carlo Koliakovo, and Jordan Tutu, and like there's yeah, there's a lot of people um, on that team that I think could be in some serious trouble if things come out like I'm, I'm trying to think of who else is on Matt Stajan, um, Scotty Upshaw. Who else is there? Is that Joffrey Lupul? Is that his yeah, year? Man. Yeah, that was his year. Yeah. So like there's some guys on that team that like had some pretty significant, um, had some pretty significant career experience and that kind of stuff. And it'll be interesting to see what does come out of that and, and who does make statements and who does not make statements. I think that's really the telling thing is who does not make the statements will be a very telling, um, a very, a very telling piece of information. In that yeah. Context. It's going to be very telling. And I just think right now, like we've seen so much fun hockey Canada. It's to a point where if I'm the IAHF, I, I know they're not going to do it. I know they're never going to do it, but for the time being, you should spend Canada's men programs until it's cleaned up or until a new organization replaces on Canada. Mm -hmm. Well, and I have somebody pointed out, I can't remember who it was. Uh, I said it on Twitter a couple of days ago that um, the punishing all of like the, the sponsors, the sponsors like pulling their sponsorship from hockey Canada to prove a point, which is totally fine. Send a message. I get it, but it hurts the women's development much more than it'll hurt the development of men's hockey in this country um, because that stuff is done under the same umbrella. It's all through hockey Canada. And so any like, you know, the sponsorship being pulled say from Canadian tire or whatever, or Tim Hortons uh, is also going to hurt women's hockey in this country. And that's not fair um, to the women's hockey programs. 
because they're not part of all of this as far as we know, obviously. Um, and so I think like, yeah, I think you're right. So maybe suspending the men's programs from participation would be the way to go, but you're right. They're never going to do that. Cause that's one of like the sort of flagship franchises, if you will. No, exactly. And again, the big question now is, I know, um, of course, you know, we talked about our group chats, how the impact is probably going to be less because world juniors are taking place in Alberta. But I don't know if the enthusiasm will be there collectively across the country for this tournament in August. I think there will be, across the country in the hockey world, a dark cloud around this tournament come August or Rogers Place. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Like, I, you're not going to see solo crowds and stuff. For sure, I think you were going to see solo crowds anyway, but you're not going to see solo crowds. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a muted kind of, um, a, a sort of a muted tournament. I don't think it's going to be quite as, you know, out there. Somebody uh, did make a really interesting point that, uh, you know, some of these hockey insiders who probably have known about stuff like this for years, they're just very happy to sit on whatever they know. And then when, you know, Matthew Kuchuk gets traded at midnight, they're, they're out tweeting about, you know, how great of a deal this is and blah, blah, blah. But when other stuff comes out, they're just like dead silent. I'm like, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, it's not just Hockey Canada that's responsible for all of this. Um, because I think there's been a lot of complicity just throughout hockey and like that whole hockey culture. I think there's been a lot of complicity um, to the point that like, yeah, I think media probably has to take some, take some blame for not saying things that they probably heard about. Um, yeah, there's anyway. no way, there's no way that these hockey insiders who've been working in, in hockey media for years and years and years haven't heard some of this stuff and just haven't said it. No. Yeah. You know, you're totally right. The ones who've been around forever and ever been around for 15, 20, 25 years, the things that they've heard, I'm sure they've heard something and you're right though, Megan, how, you know, they're quite on that, you know, they're, this, you know, we got, we got, we got, we got, we got to be, be better. We got to improve. We can't let another Cal Beach happen, but yeah, they're quiet, but a great, great example, a trade breaks and they're on it right there. And then after Valen could be better after Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, this is one of those things where like, it takes, it takes a lot more than lip service. And I mean, like, if we circle this back to the Oilers with Bob Nicholson and stuff, there's other things going on with the Oilers that are gross and disgusting too. And like, I mean, I don't know, at some point in time, can, is, can the league step in? I think I think right. I think the league is waiting. I think the league right now is in a stance they're waiting to an extent because a, a league can a league can force a sale. A league can force ownership. Or they could force changes in presence ownership. And right now, I think the league is waiting on on. And it's just by assumption, I think I think right now the league is watching, observing to see what they can do right now when it comes to stuff in Edmonton. Yeah, because like I mean, what I don't understand sort of this lawsuit. And necessarily, that's against uh, the word delicates has been named um, entirely. Apparently, he's not like, I don't know. I, there's some things I don't understand about it. Anyway, what I do understand is that there is an allegedly uh, record of text messages where mm-hmm. Kate's paid an underage ballet dancer $75,000 for, quote, financing for a movie that she was making. But it maybe wasn't that. Anyway, it's just like there's things that... Um. Yeah, it, it's gross, and what it is, and this is not the first time the allegations of something of this nature have come out about Daryl Cates either. This is this is at least the second time that we've heard of anything. Um, and it's weird because you know I've just got lots of questions. I don't really know what to say about it. I just think it's really weird and really gross. But like at some point in time, you know, is this 
like our fans going to be okay with like this is the person who owns the team like this is the person that owns my favorite franchise like that to me just that would be a hard thing for me to reconcile no it's it's totally a great point and it's a great point and Daryl Cates isn't the only owner to have had allegations like this come out in the sports world before but I think um I think too right now I think the league's just sitting and waiting to see what's going to happen how this is going to play out because both sides have denied there being any sexual contact any, uh, uh, in terms of what happened in the lawsuit. So I think I think it's gonna be a pretty complicated and complex situation until more uh, more con- more documents get, are, are revealed. Hmm. Well, and I think like I was just thinking about uh, in the NBA, wasn't it the Clippers that uh, yeah. uh, that, Don, that Don Sterling was their owner, and he said a bunch of. Um, yeah, he said a bunch of racist stuff. Yes, he did. Um, and then ultimately, I think, I, I feel like the NBA forced the sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the NBA, um, they forced sale because they first they first banned Sterling from, for life from the league. They banned him. Yeah. Sterling. Yeah, and then they forced sale. Um, it, it, it forced his wife, who became the owner then, to sell the team to see Balmer for $2 billion. Yeah. Yeah, and so like you know, thinking about something like that, I mean, it's not unprecedented, right? That that a league could force the sale of a team for reasons, and I mean, I don't think that like one is a quote better reason than another. But like, if this business with Daryl Cates, if these allegations turn out to be true, like, how can the league not say anything? Especially considering all of this other stuff, right? And wanting to be better after. Kyle Beach and all of these sorts of things. How is that not all just lip service if they don't do anything? Oh, of course. And yeah, and, and yeah, and, and if this stuff does reveal itself to be true, then if you're the league, you got to do something. You're going to have to if it does um, reveal itself to be true. So I think the league right now is waiting to see what's going to happen, um, to see if more comes out, to see if, if more what happens. Because um, I guess legally, the league can't do anything until they get more evidence from this, but. We'll see. It's gonna be it's gonna be a real test of the hockey world to see what happens now going forward with with Dale Cates and Yeah. Well, and I just yeah, I just think that like I don't know. I just think that we are in a in a space where um you can't let it go anymore, right? And I mean, like somebody we talked about this too. Uh, like Jess Allen, she said however long ago that was eighteen months ago that you know hockey culture had a problem and people absolutely lost their minds. And now here we are and hockey culture definitely has a problem and, you know, she wasn't wrong. And I, I hope people have apologized to her for some of the terrible things that they said to her because, you know, she was just sort of stating a thing that I think a lot of people already knew, but didn't really want to admit. And I feel like she's, you know, I I don't want to say like, she's not like the groundbreaker or anything like this, but she just came out and said the thing that a lot of people have already said and or have already thought and she was the one who got lambasted for it. But now that it's like out there in actual media, like in news media, people are like, oh, maybe there is a problem. Um, and I just, yeah. Like, I mean, when she said it, I mean, we, we talked about it when that came up and like we knew and we've got friends that we've talked to about it. And like everyone was like, yeah, yeah, there's an issue for sure. There's an issue. Um, and then she said it and people just kind of got really upset about it. And it was really interesting. It's now interesting to see sort of some of the backlash that's coming about this from Hockey Canada and other things that are going on. And it's like, yeah, no, there is a problem in hockey culture and we really need to deal with it. And it's, it was ridiculous when, when Jess Allen said that, how people were demanding, oh, oh, she's no, she's worth, she's as bad as Don Cherry. Fire her. Fire. I saw other people in media. I saw other people in media demanding 
for her to be fired for those kind of comments compared to Don Cherry. Like, are you out of your mind to see something like that? That that's worse than Don Cherry when she was mentioning, of course, not every hockey player is like that, but yes, there are hockey, hockey players who were like that. Yes, she was stating fact. Like, where did she, where, like, she didn't say anything outrageous. Like, that happens in hockey culture. And people wanting her fired, that was, it was so embarrassing. And so it's a weird question. Like the thing that I don't understand and I don't know if I ever will is what's the difference between um, what's the difference between like hockey culture and like say football culture or basketball? Like why is it that, that this seems to be a thing that like people who are, you know, fans of hockey and all of its, all of its, uh, configurations are like, yeah, no, this is absolutely um, a thing that goes on. Why is it that we know that? Whereas in like, ba- we don't hear about the same stuff like in baseball and in basketball and in football. Like, what's the difference? Ooh, that's a good question. I I want to say the difference comes mainly because a lot of these kids grew up in these, for the most part, these small towns where they're privileged, they get to do what they want, they're never judged or seen as the kings of these small towns. You only see it as you only see it as much, I guess, in say a basketball or a football or a baseball. The the demand to protect these kids as much isn't really there in. I guess I mean it's still there in those sports, but no, it's not there as much in say hockey as it would in say a basketball or football. Because some of these kids are also too come from the second generations of Hall of Famers, well known players. So they want to get let them be entitled and get away with stuff. So I think that plays a role in it too, in terms of not wanting to question these kids and let them be privileged and not question where they are. But it's such a weird, it's such a weird situation. Like it, you don't, you're right, Megan. It doesn't happen in baseball, football, or basketball. And I want to say as well too. I guess the fact that hockey is less diverse than these other sports. These questions do come into play. Where these bad behaviors you wouldn't see in other sports are brought up in hockey. Duties entitled for the most part entitled rich white kids doing as they please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's maybe part of it, and and there's there's a small town aspect. Maybe if they don't grow up in small towns, they go like if we look at like junior hockey in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. Like lots of those places that that we have junior teams, like major junior teams, they're not like big big cities, right? Like there, I mean, sure, there's a team in Edmonton, there's a team in Calgary, like you know, but you don't have multiple teams in those big cities. You just have one, so you do have guys who end up going to play in places like Moose Jaw and Brandon and. Uh, Sault Ste. Marie and like smaller places where they're, they are kind of like the big show in town in a lot of ways. And there is that sort of prominence and, and whatever that comes with it. And I, yeah, maybe there is a piece of entitlement. I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I do find it. Actually, no, there is the answer. I think you don't have, and I please, someone correct us if, if I'm wrong, but I think in the States, especially you don't have kids Moving away from home at 14. Yes, that's a great, great point, Megan. That's true. You don't. It doesn't happen. Right? Like, you don't have kids moving away necessarily. They might, like, maybe if they're from a really small place and they're really, really good, they might go somewhere to go to school elsewhere, like to go to high school or something. But generally speaking, you don't have kids moving away from home just to go play. No, it's great. And yeah, there, there there isn't a junior league at the level in baseball, in basketball, in football, that has these 14, uh, 16, 17-year-olds living by themselves and being treated as keen. It doesn't happen. Hockey is the one sport where this is really a thing. Yeah, that is... 
yeah and it just kind of dawned on me like i mean i know i you read about like guys who go play baseball and stuff or whatever but no like they do their like their sort of travel baseball or travel basketball or whatever happens in the summertime so they're still living at home they're still going to school like you know where they grew up and that kind of thing um and then they're not unsupervised like as because the kids that go to play hockey in the dub or in the ohl or the q or whatever i don't want to say this is true about all of them but like i don't think that for most of those guys school is their most important focus whereas in basketball and in football basketball i know in the nba you can declare for the draft at 18 but Mm -hmm. in football you can't so like if you want to play you have to go to school it's true you do and so there, I think there's a difference there in how those sports get treated. Whereas hockey, obviously, you don't have to go to school. And actually, if you do go to school, uh, it's usually after you're drafted. Yeah, because and, and how many guys do you hear about who guys who didn't go to college route, who went the junior hockey route, you know, they're they're done school by grade 10 or grade 11. There's mm-hmm. quite a few guys who didn't get the high school diplomas. They went, you know, grade 10, grade 11. They pursued the hockey route and they're pro hockey player after fishing, maybe grade 10 if that's well and then and then when you hear about some of those guys when they're in playing in the nhl like colton Pareko was like finishing a degree while he was playing right and people thought like that was like a that was like a newsworthy story yeah whereas that's not the case um whereas like what's his face john urschel who played for the ravens uh he was working on a phd while he was playing which is insane the problem Uh, ridiculous like, yeah, those are, that's like an extreme version of it. Also. But I, I wonder if that's part of that culture where you, you release these teenage boys into the wild at like 14, 15, 16 years old. They're away from home. And it's not just major junior. Like, we'll think about like all of the, the junior A leagues, like in BC and Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Like you've got, you've got kids coming from all over the place, living in places like um, brooks right and all these small small Mm -hmm. towns where like yeah they are the big deal in town and there is sort of maybe a piece of entitlement that comes with that i don't know if that's the answer but i do think that having these kids away from home as young as they are and not away from home at like a school that's like it's the kids that go to like shattuck st mary's or who've gone to like notre dame and wilcox and places like that i think it's different because you're going to go to school and play sports exactly and the other the other case it's going to play sports and then school because you're still school aged basically Exactly. But yeah, for example, if yeah, for example, if you're going out, you're playing for the Vernon Vipers or you're by yourself playing for, yeah, the Brooks Bandits and you're, yes, 15, 16, you, you may not be going to school. You may not be on top of the city. And again, you know, I, I just know for myself, there is, if I was a, if I was a um, uh, athlete who could play that, at that level, I know I was responsible enough to be on my own at 16, Megan. No way. And I doubt many of these kids are responsible enough to be held um, accountable mm-hmm. by themselves at 16 or 17 years old. Very few are ready for the world at mm-hmm. 16 or 17. Very few. Well, I mean, and like they, it's not like, like they have billet families. And it's not like they're living by themselves or anything, no. but they're still not living w- at home with their parents. And it's no, not exactly. the same. It's not that same sort of structure and whatever. And I wonder, I wonder if that's part of where this comes from, you know, and so where you start to hear some of these stories. And I would imagine over time, we're going to hear some stuff. Um, you know, as people feel more comfortable, you know, now knowing there's actually a reporter in this country who's doing this work that maybe people are like, no, I have a story to tell now. Yeah. And, and playing, I think it was, um, Samantha Chang, who I do, who I do on um, time with on Yahoo. She was talking about requested and she was saying how it's embarrassing that requested kid with, with his work in a four, in a few short months 
can basically bring down all the TSN and is calling the TSN with his work mm-hmm. in a few short months that should have been that should have been done years ago. Oh, absolutely, it should have been. But those insiders were very they're very comfortable in their um, they're very comfortable in their position, right? And so they don't want to say anything that's going to get them like have them lose their access. Now that is that that is very true. But you know, it's it's weird because we talk about the access and. There are some guys, like, I mean, there are some guys that, at certain networks where I think about it, I think to myself, they're probably, they're probably bulletproof. They're probably so high up in that, that chain in which if they were to say something, there's no way to get touched by a team or, or an organization they didn't want to go out and expose certain stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been, an, it's been a, it's been weird to sort of follow this along and see where the reporting is coming from and who's doing the coverage and who's talking about it and who's not talking about it. I think who's not talking about it is more significant than who is talking about it because the people who aren't talking about it are very notable in their absence and in their silence. No, of course. And the ones who are, and the ones who are probably for the most part, it's, ba- it's mainly, it's mainly been the podcasters, the bloggers. I know actually I'm Dustin Nielsen. He's been talking about this quite a bit. He's actually been talking about this stuff for um, quite some time. He's been on, on Canada quite a bit. So he's one of the few guys um, with, with, with access and with connections to a TSN who's been very vocal, vocal about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, it's nice. Like it is nice to have, it is nice to have some people that are, but like the question is like, how come they weren't talking about it before? You know, like, cause it's not like we didn't know about it. And that's I just true. feel, I just feel like that's you know negligent on their part. No, of course. And I think too, there's there. Uh, I think too for them, there are some truths that they don't want to confront that they know is going to be very ugly. And there's some truth they don't want to face head on. Well, and so it's funny. I was talking to my mom actually yesterday about this, and not this specifically, but I was watching some baseball and I made some comments about Aaron Judge because, of course, I did. Um, but. One of the things I seem to like about him and like whatever his, I don't know if I agree with everything that he believes in, but generally speaking, he seems like a pretty good guy. And I have not yet read a single thing that would cast any aspersions on that. You know, like there's no stories coming out about him in the way that there, there would be about other like superstars, you know, in a league. Um, And that's one of the things that I like. And I think the uncomfortable truths that you're talking about though, like I think that sports fans generally need to be prepared for those uncomfortable truths about some of their favorite players, because I would imagine that there are skeletons in a lot of closets and the people are um, not ready to acknowledge that just yet. Oh yeah. No, I, I've um, worked in hockey for a very long time. Like I know, like there are there are things out there that are going to that probably will emerge soon or whatever it does happen that are going to shake a lot of fans. That are going to change perceptions that fans have of certain teams, certain players. I just know it's going to happen eventually because we're now in, in, in an era where these stories that are going to come out eventually, be it on whatever on whatever team, be it hockey Canada, we say hockey, they're not going to be brushed away like they were years ago. Fans that are, people are now going to say you didn't do anything about this, and they're going to stay in the news for much longer than they were five, six years ago. And I think that if they stay in the news and something gets done, like that's that's all worth it. I just the thing that I feel when I think about this, I feel bad for um, people who have been victimized by this because now, now you know, years later, you have to relive all of that, right? And and sort of be like, yes, I told my story once, but now I have to like go through 
you know, reading about people's reactions and oh, someone, someone's just saying this for clout or whatever. Like, for example, the trial that's taking place right now, the Jake Bertanen business, um, the defense attorney asked the girl how come she didn't like make up an excuse for why she didn't want to have sex with him. And I was, and when I read that, I was like, because she already said no, like she shouldn't have had to lie and say, well, I can't because. No. And again, and, and now right there, it's more victim blaming. It's, you know, oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do this? Why couldn't you take no for an answer? Don't blame the victim yeah. on that. Yeah. And so I think that like, you know, as we hear stuff like this, I think that it's not just a hockey thing. It's not just a sports thing. Like it's an entire societal shift that needs to take place because if we ha- were living in a society where, you know, people weren't victim blaming, questions like that would never come up. But I, I feel bad for that girl, like having to sit there and, you know, listen to this line of questioning. It's like, well, how come you didn't do more to stop someone from assaulting you? Sorry, like, I didn't realize that that was my responsibility in the middle of all of this, that it was my job to say, oh, no, sorry, I'd rather you didn't do that. Right, and it's like, it's just... As a fortune, because if, say, for example, this case does go the way of Jake for Tannen, there probably will be, I'm just saying, footballing, there probably will be a team probably not in the NHL, but a different league that will say, oh, you know, he won his case. How soon can you be in training camp for? Which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So there's nothing going to be, yeah, there's nothing, nothing's going to change until everything changes. And I think it's just going to be a really long, it's going to be a long process. And like people, like people have to keep holding teams accountable and holding players accountable and that comes from media it doesn't come from the ordinary fans like it really doesn't because we don't have access the way that media does no. um but it would be nice if media would start doing some of the work that uh rick Westhead is doing and that katie strang is doing because they're doing incredible things to help bring some of this to light so that we can start sort of grappling with this as a as a society and as a, as a fan base sort of in general um but until we get to the point where you know people are like yeah, okay, something has to change and nothing's going to change. And that's really unfortunate. Yeah, and, and it's a thing in which um, the big, the past two years, we talked about, you know, um, in hockey and all sports, um, media access to the players. And it, it was a lot of, it was a lot of um, other reporters who wanted the access to ask the inane, talk about the third, talk about, you know, the, the first period questions or the inane stuff, when it should have been from the start, we need the access to question these teams on right there again, player conduct, racism. Th- that would have been a lot more palatable to the fans to listen to than mm-hmm. just read the access just to, uh, to do our day-to-day stuff. Like, that's, and it doesn't really accomplish much. If you asked for the access to do the proper hurting journalism, then the perception would have been a thousand times different, Megan. Oh, absolutely. I think I think so. But yeah, we're, we're still used to treating like athletes as entertainers right and not as people and so Mm -hmm. we kind of like to we kind of like to separate those two things it's like well, what they do in their private life is none of our business like well kind of it is sometimes and they've 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 agreed to it by be by entering into that industry they've agreed to some elements of their personal lives being like on display i think yeah rightly or wrongly right but i think that's part of what happens no exactly and it's a great point mentioned out there people like yeah people seem as entertainers and people people don't to an extent Still see athletes that they don't see athletes as, as things they can meet or they can see on the street or they can interact with. Like, great example, when I was at the NHLPA Smash Fest tournament, I was there talking to um 
the jo- the Joseph brothers. I was talking to Zach Hyman, and you know, I was having fun with with um with Jeff Skinner. Like those kind of kind of things, people don't realize. Yeah, yeah. Like these are human beings that walk down the street like you do, get their groceries, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're humans. It's not just things you watch and can forget about when you turn TV off in life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 then you remember too, like they, they they are people and people are fallible and they make mistakes or whatever. But like, I don't know, based on what the allegations of like from two thousand and three, let's say, are this is not a gang rape is not a, a, a mistake. No, it isn't. Right? <laughs> like that's not something that you just accidentally find your way into. Yeah, like um, um, yeah, a mistake would have been, you know, a, a story of, you know, those guys, you know, oh, they didn't turn tin company and they fled their hotel room. That's a mistake. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. or like, or you know, something happened and they're celebrating, like, and somebody like they walk out on the bill because they thought that somebody else, you know, everyone thought that someone else was looking after or whatever. Like, those are honest mistakes. This is not a mistake, and if if what's out there is true, like it's not a mistake, and you can't just brush it under the rug the way that you can yeah like trashing a hotel room it's like well like that's that's decent like oh that's some hush money it's like oh sorry we made a mistake here's, here's yeah. some money to fix that the, the <laughs> exactly that, that, yeah if you, if you go nagano if you go you you would say nagano in a hotel room yeah that's a mistake <laughs> yeah but like you know but now knowing that like hockey canada used like registration fund money basically like registration money for like minor hockey players to pay off complainants in sexual assault cases are you joking me like if i was a parent i would be livid about that yeah. livid about that because yeah you would think this money would go towards the grassroots game helping improve the game not hush fund payments for sexual assault like yeah i'd be I, if i was a parent i would be disgusted i mean i would be appalled by that knowing that yeah, like, oh, man. Anyway, so obviously there's, like, a systemic issue, and obviously it's not just a hockey thing. It's very much a culture thing, and we have to sort of, like, start grappling with it in a meaningful kind of way. But, like, I don't know how we start, you know? Like, do we just stop stop hockey altogether? That would probably be the solution, to be perfectly honest. Just no more hockey. You can just be done with it. I mean, um, you're not wrong, but I, I think a way we can do that, we can help change things, and we can get some of the people who have been here um, covering yourself up for... 20, 25, 30 years out of here and get some new voices who are committed to change and are committed to making the game better, I feel. Well, and and having and allowing voices to be heard that maybe have not been heard in the past. Um, And looking at, you know, Hockey Canada could have on its board and, you know, and it's like upper management, I don't know, some women maybe. Yeah. Possibly, question mark. Um, would probably change the way that some of this stuff gets handled and dealt with. Um, this took a very serious turn, uh, which is not <laughs> our, our normal uh, bent. So I do have a question for you. Yes. Um, a highly personal question. Are you ready? Oh boy, here we go. Yes, it's I'm a very ready. specific question just for you. What <laughs> would you call your own restaurant and what would be on the menu? What would be on the menu? Well, of course, I'm coming to place. <laughs> I'm calling it the Well Done Grill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling you the well done grill. You know where you're getting. You're gonna get you know. You're gonna be able to order your uh, cereal. Um, milk is the there will be milk available, but you know it's on courage. But milk in your cereal. The steak. So I'm gonna have to pay like six. I'm gonna the cereal is gonna be like a dollar, but I have to pay like seven bucks for the milk to go with it, right? <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to discourage you from eating those terrible eating ways. Uh, <sighs> steaks will be in the menu, but the the default steak setting will be on well done. <laughs> Oh man, this is wor- going to be the worst restaurant. And your co-owner is Travis Yost, right? Like that's got to be the <laughs> Oh man. 
I like the name, the well done girl. I think that's actually very funny. It would be <laughs> even funnier if it was a well-done girl but you only serve raw food i think you know uh, you know we'll, we'll open Edmonton, we'll open um in vancouver island because i know we know someone there who will appreciate the items on that menu <laughs> yeah 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 she'll still appreciate that one in here one in Edmonton, probably one in one in uh where's alex in hartford no one in hartford yeah he's in hartford <laughs> uh, i was gonna say boston but i was like no he doesn't live there anymore yeah alex is in hartford so we can open one there open one in calgary we got people in calgary that uh, i'm sure would um enjoy they would partake uh, yeah, your restaurant would be terrible. It would close in three weeks. Um, <laughs> three weeks? Wow. It'll be <laughs> so bad. It'll be it'll become iconic. It'll last for a few decades. It'll become iconic. No, no, no. Someone's going to order a medium well steak and they're going to get thrown out and they're going to leave a terrible Yelp review and it's going to be over. Like that'll be, <laughs> that'll be the end of your restaurant. Um, and I don't know what I'd call my restaurant, but I'd open it next door to yours and I would just sell better food. Wow. Um, I maybe I would, no, it would be whatever side it was on. Like let's say it was like in the little strip mall or whatever, and my restaurant would be ne- like on the left hand side of yours. So my the name would be better than that with an arrow pointing to yours, <laughs> and then I would have like you know bowls of cereal for like a dollar with the milk and things like that, so that people would come and eat at my restaurant instead. Wow. And they I would not allow them to order their steaks well done. I'd be like, no, get out. <laughs> um, that's what I would do. It's a hostile act. It is a hostile act, but I think you deserve it for your terrible, terrible ideas i can't i don't understand the serial thing at all but anyway here we are um that's all we have for you for this time around we'll be back sometime in august uh with some more hockey talk at some point in time i don't know when we'd like to do this every two weeks but last weekend didn't work out so uh this might be like a three every three weeks kind of deal until the season gets rolling again um but uh avery do you have anything you want to plug yeah, I will. I will just plug. Like, as usual, you, you find all my good ramblings and work on the old Twitter box. Follow me at Avery at AVRY. Um, yeah, you can follow me at MIG14. Uh, I don't know why you'd want to because right now all I'm talking about is like baseball and uh, Friday Night Lights, the TV show, because it's on Crave now. So I'm like 12 episodes in to my like 19th rewatch of this show. Uh, so I'm just going to tweet about that for a while. Uh, so don't follow me because you're not going to get anything interesting from it. Um, anyway, that's all we have uh, for you for this time around. Um, thanks for listening, the four of you who still do. And uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, later.